Trinity Baptist Church. Proverbs 1, 11, 1 through 6. The Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless makes their path straight, but the wicked are wrought down by their own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires. The The word word of the the Lord. Good morning. Uh, My name is Ross Queener, and I'm an elder here at Trinity, and I'm going to be giving this sermon this morning. Those are my daughters. So wonderful to, I know, a family act. Yes. They do a very good job. Well, over the last 10 weeks, we've been um, hearing a series of messages from the book of Proverbs, been terrific messages on things like the need to guard our hearts, uh, on fear, what do we fear, who do we fear, what does that mean, friendships, teachability. If you've never heard a sermon where the word stupid is used 15 times, you want to check that one out. It's in the Bible, you know. Uh, Conflict and confession planning, tact, generosity, and wealth. And then finally, this week is the last week of the series, uh, and I'm going to be preaching on freedom. Now, I've got to tell you, uh, as I was in the process of planning this week, a couple of things happened. And um, if if you guys, uh, Brad and Debbie, want to come on up, uh, how many people have been taking part in Ground Takers? I know there are about 130 people signed up, so a good handful of us. And, uh, you know, that's an initiative from Brad and Debbie to... Uh, to encourage us to pray for parts of our city. And so that's pretty awesome. You talk about inciting others to love and good deeds. That is a terrific good deed. And so, um, you know, every week emails would come out reminding us. This week there was an extra email uh, from Brad encouraging us to pray for the Middle East. And if you read that, it was a beautifully written prayer. Really, really, you know, obviously stuck with me, touched my heart. And then, you know, I'm continuing my sermon prep and... Uh, along the way, I'm checking Facebook, and I see an article posted by a friend on um, a prison in Iraq. Uh, ISIS, you know, is holding a group of women, girls, teenage girls, and just, you know, these girls are living in hell on earth. Really broke my heart, and I thought, okay, here I am. I'm going to be preaching on freedom. Uh, it might be good to literally pray for the freedom of people who are really facing circumstances that are extraordinary. So, you know, in addition to saying thanks to them for, you know, encouraging us in prayer for our neighborhoods, I thought it would be great to just ask Brad and Debbie to come up and lead us in prayer for people who are living in these sorts of circumstances. So if you want, please go ahead. Thank you, Ross. Um, As Ross said, for the last uh, nine weeks, 130 of you have been joining us walking the city and praying. And Debbie and I have been humbled as we've had a chance to hear from many of you about the stories, the challenges, the successes you faced. And one of the biggest themes that's come about is that for most of us, our prayer lives have been changed. Rather than just praying, you know, during church time or maybe in devotional home, we're seeing that anytime we see evil or pain or suffering, there's opportunities for prayer. And as as Ross said, in the Middle East right now with the humanitarian uh, just crisis that's going on, prayer is definitely needed. So today, this morning, we asked, um, we have the opportunity to join our voices together 
on behalf of those who do not have one. So please pray with us. Holy Spirit, we be here and walk amongst us. You come and do what you do best. We are so thankful today, this body, Lord, we are so thankful that we are able to be here and worship freely, that we can come here, Lord, and worship your name freely. And there are prayers of lament, Lord, prayers of lamentation in the Middle East, and we want to lift our voices for our brothers and sisters. May our voices and our prayers, Lord, this morning lift their prayers and their praises and their rejoicing. It's the highest form of praise, lamentation, Lord. We thank you for our freedom. Thank you, Father, that you hear our cries for mercy for our sisters and our brothers in the Middle East. Thank you, Lord. Many in this area of the world are desperate for protection and for safety. All people, Lord, regardless of ethnicity, of religious tradition, or the creation of your hand. In the midst of war, Lord, we cry, holy is our Lord. Holy are you, Lord. We send your holy breath, your Holy Spirit, Lord, to be poured out on the earth today. For you alone, Lord, can restore what the locusts have eaten. You teach us to pray in such a way that literally stops the cadence of the enemy in his tracks here and abroad. Where there is bloodshed, bring peace. Where there is fighting, bring healing. Where there is division, bring unity. And where there is persecution, Lord, bring restoration. From our freedom, we declare captives free in Jesus' name. For you, Lord, will grab the corners of the earth and shake out the wickedness from the darkness. The world is in need of your wisdom and revelation. Every situation must bend to your unchanging nature. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. This situation, Lord, must bend to your name. We lift your name, Lord. Yes, there are giants in the land, but we know our God. We know you, Lord. We... We look to you. We look to you, Lord, and not the giants in this land. I thank you for a spirit of, um, of Caleb, of Joshua, who went out into that land, into Canaan, and came back and said, yes, there are giants, but we know our God, and we will take this land for our God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for that spirit released in this church. We praise your name, Lord. We declare that the fire of the enemy will be quenched. We ask for fullness. We ask for sustenance. Hmm. Thank you, Lord. We thank you that you hear our cries for mercy. For your children in the Middle East and in northern Iraq specifically, Lord, you hear the blood of your children crying out from the ground. You hear that, Lord. And we thank you for hearing our prayers, Lord. Hmm. May the sound of heaven rise up in your church. The very sound of heaven, Lord. Hmm. That our prayers be, be Lord, a lightning strike from heaven to earth. That that is what our prayers are before you. We thank you for that, Lord. A lightning strike that our words offered to you. Make changes, Lord, for your glory. Bring glory to your name. All authority, all victory is yours alone. We proclaim freedom for captives, starting with this city, which is a gateway to the nation. And from this nation, Lord, 
We declare freedom to the persecuted church across the world in the precious name of our Jesus. In the name of Jesus and for his sake, Lord, bring peace. Amen. All right. Thank you so much for that. You watch the evening news, hopefully it forces you to pray. Um, but as we, as we think this morning about the idea of freedom, uh, you know, of course there are a host of things that can come to mind. For some of us, right, it's got to be, it's got to be the American flag, the land of the free, the home of the brave. For some guys, if you love blue face paint, it's probably Mel Gibson laying down, being tortured, yelling, freedom! Uh, we're not going to do that this morning, but uh, that might come to mind. The, um, the powerful words of Martin Luther King Jr. may come to mind. Free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty we're free at last. You might also be struck by the irony that in the land of the free, uh, we would for some reason not see slavery as being incompatible with political freedom. I don't know why that was, but by God's grace that came to an end. And then there's, there's the idea of personal freedom, right? And this, to me, is, is probably the place where most of us live most of the time, thinking about our own personal freedom, um, freedom to be who we are. And in some ways, that can be really, really good, right? If you're a person that has been uh, trapped by addiction, entering into a recovery process and being set free from that addiction is... You know, it's, it's incredible, life-changing. If you're trapped in a bad relationship, finding freedom from that bad relationship, also an awesome thing. On the other hand, it can be a bad thing, right? Sometimes people are seeking freedom from common sense and responsibility, uh, from courtesy. A lot of teenagers live this way. Not necessarily talking about my kids. They're actually pretty good. But I was a teenager like that, right? I'm, I'm really fortunate to have lived through it. Once again, God's grace. Um, and so, you know, when we talk about personal freedom, uh, there, there are a number of things that we could mean. But again, I think that that's really most of when we, when we consider freedom, that's really where it counts. Uh, Proverbs is a book that hits on all of these things to varying degrees. You know, there's, there are verses in there about government. There are verses in there about cultural values, social values. But a lot of it talks about the... Um, about life and heart issues that the individual faces. And there are a collection of verses that are really sort of the keystone as we consider that. A couple of examples would be Proverbs 14.27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. All right, and so the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. This is something you hear again and again in Proverbs. Proverbs 29, 25. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, right? It takes away your freedom. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. And so, you know, there's a sense that, uh, that your values in life, what you really fear, what you really put over you, uh, is going gonna, is gonna to change the way that you live. It makes a huge difference in life. And... Uh, you know, the second, the second sermon in the series was a sermon on fear. Keith preached that sermon. And there was a quote from Erwin McManus that I, that I think speaks to this really well. He says, whatever you fear, 
establishes the boundaries of your freedom. Whatever you fear establishes the boundaries of your freedom. So if you fear something small, like the opinions of other people, your boundaries are going to be pretty tight. If you're constantly worried about what other people are thinking and are saying, uh, you know, how, how they're going to respond to you, you're not going to have much room to live. But if your, uh, you know, primary fear in life is fear of the Lord, this good, healthy fear of the Lord, your boundaries are increased incredibly. You're, you're then free to live as you are created to live. And so Proverbs really, uh, you know, that, that's sort of the keystone within Proverbs. When you think about, about living a life of freedom, um, that's, that's what they're talking about. Our memory verse this week also hits on, the, on this idea. The righteousness, you know, which flows from the fear of the Lord, the righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires. And so, you know, as we, as we talk about freedom, it's sort of critical to keep that as a, as a backdrop to what I'm going to be talking about. And I'm going to hit on two points this morning. And these are sort of the stepping stones for living in freedom from evil desires and snares that they create. Uh, and this has everything to do with wisdom. The first is how we can grow in wisdom. And the second is the relationship between wisdom and righteousness, right? And righteousness is going to lead us into, into freedom. Uh, and so, so that's sort of where I'm going. Let me just uh, say a word of prayer to ask the Lord to enter into this, and we'll move on. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can gather here, that we can worship. Lord, that we can be here together and that you are with us. We're honored by your presence. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd speak through me, and I pray that, that we would hear your voice this morning. Uh, Lord, thanks that you love us so much. Thanks that you are with us each and every day. Amen. All right. Uh, so how can we grow in wisdom? You know, interestingly enough, the first mention of wisdom in Scripture is in the book of Genesis. It's in the Garden of Eden in chapter 3. And so, you know, the, the scene is you have Adam and Eve there, and along comes Satan, and he's having this conversation with Eve. And in the course of this conversation, you know, he's, he's trying to convince her that, look, okay, the one thing you're not allowed to have is actually the thing you need. Uh, God is holding this back from you. This is going to make you more like God. You ought to just go for it. And so as Eve is listening to this, uh, she's absorbing it and she's swayed by it. So Genesis 3, 6 says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Now, these two, these two phrases, pleasing to the eye and, de- and desirable for gaining wisdom, they, they have a specific connotation in the Hebrew language. Pleasing to the eye. Uh, the word pleasing is also, in other places, translated as lust. Right? The, the, the sense of, of pleasure that she derived from considering having this was like lust. She was lusting after it. Desirable for gaining wisdom. That Hebrew word desirable can also be found in the Ten Commandments. And there it's translated as covet. She was coveting the wisdom that would come with this piece of fruit. And so, uh, you know, as she's approaching this, as she's thinking about it, she's thinking about attaining something greater, 
that there's something greater I don't have, I need, and it's in this fruit. I want that. You know, I think about that, and to me that is a very human response. James talked about this last week in his sermon on wealth, right? Remember he said that, that no matter how much money people have, if they're asked, are you wealthy, typically they'll say, well, not really. Somebody else is richer. This is what rich is, even if you've got, you know, whatever. Uh, there's, you're always saying, well, no, I'm, I'm actually not that wealthy. Um, so here you have Eve. She's in the Garden of Eden, right? The Lord has placed them in paradise. They have all of, these, all of this great food. They can just go and get it whenever they want it. They can hang out with animals. Who doesn't want to hang out with animals? And they can hang around with each other naked all day, and they're having an awesome time. How much better could it be? But in the midst of this, she looks around and says, Lord, you're ripping me off. There's something I don't have. You're holding, you're holding me back. I need that. Now, you contrast this with the attitude that we see in the book of James. In chapter 1, verse 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. All right, and so there are different postures here. James is addressing people that know they don't have wisdom. They know that they're lacking. And, you know, just as it is with a 12-step program, the first step is admitting that you've got a problem. And so he's addressing people that, as they read this, they're saying, okay, you know, you're speaking to my hunger. This is what I need. I need wisdom. And he says, you need to go and ask God because he's the one that's going to give you exactly what you need. This is a God-centered approach. I'm lacking. I'm in need. God is my provider. He's going to provide for me. Uh, Eve's approach to this was, was entirely self-centered. So, and again, I'm not an Eve basher. It's just, I think it was a very human response. I think we can all fall into that. I saw this um, in my own life. You know, as a non-Christian, I would at times pick up, pick up a Bible. I became a Christian when I was 27. So, you know, in college, I'd pick up the Bible, and I'd read it, and I would just laugh to myself, and I would think, who believes this stuff? This is stupid. Who in the world believes this? Uh, then at the age of 27, I do come to faith in Christ. Now I approach this with a different posture. I know that I'm in a place of need, and I'm saying, all right, God, if you're real, if this is real, please prove it to me because I want to I live in light of what's true. I need to know what's true. And sure enough, as I open this and I begin reading, it is an entirely different book. You know, who changed the pages? Well, they didn't change. My attitude had changed. The fact that I was approaching this with humility made all the difference. And the Lord met me there, and he opened the word to me and helped me to understand. Right? And I, when I think of Alpha, that's sort of the premise behind Alpha, is that there are people who are saying, you know, Lord, I want to know. And it provides an environment where they can come and they can, they can hear and they can find out. This morning, uh, one of the verses that my girls read, Proverbs 11:2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Man, that was lived out in my life, right? Such a good word. So we see that in, we see that in order to grow in wisdom, we need to have a right attitude. We have to be humble, knowing that it's not about us, but it's really about God. It's really about what he's going to do for us and in us and through us. 
And if we approach, if we approach our need from that perspective, the Lord's going to meet us there, and he's going to speak to us. So having this posture of humility is critical if we're going to grow in wisdom and live in freedom. And, and this comes then to my second point, and that is uh, the relationship between wisdom and righteousness in Scripture. The, the words wise and wisdom are frequently used to be synonymous uh, with righteous, right, or righteousness. They're sort of, uh, in many places, they are synonymous. Vine's Expository Dictionary puts it this way, uh, right, and it's a dictionary of Hebrew and Greek words, pretty extensive. Wisdom in Scripture is viewed as a mastery of the art of living in accordance with God's expectations. Wisdom is a mastery of the art of living in accordance with God's expectations. So in using the words mastery and art, what they're saying is this is a process that we enter into. We, throughout our life, day by day, decision by decision, we are, we are hoping to gain wisdom in each moment to show ourselves to be wise. It's not a label that you wear. It's not something, something that you can attain and you're done. But it is something that you live out day by day. It's a process. And, you know, you look back in the Garden of Eden, and Eve was looking to attain the thing. Uh, but James calls us into that process. Okay? As it turns out, the words fool and foolishness also have parallels in Scripture, and that would be sin or sinfulness, right? A fool, right, the fool says in his heart that there is no God. Um, a, a fool is someone who's, who's living a life of sin. They're living a foolish life. And so, again, this is played out day by day, decision by decision. In the um, book written by the Apostle James, chapter 3, verse 13, we see James talk about this. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life. Right? And so James is, talked, uh, James is talking about this wisdom being displayed, again, day by day, decision by decision. Uh, there's a life of humility, and oddly enough, he talks about humility that comes from wisdom. We need humility to gain wisdom, but as we grow in wisdom, we become more humble. Uh, that's actually good news because as you become more humble, you're in a better position to gain more wisdom. That's a good thing, right? So by following the Lord, he helps you along. But, but sometimes, as we've taken that first step of humility and coming before the Lord and saying, Lord... I, I don't have all the answers in life. I recognize that I'm in need, and I know that I need you. I need to be forgiven for my sin. I need to place myself under you and allow you to be sovereign over my life. Sometimes we've, we've taken that first step. We begin living that way, but then we fall back into old ways, right? We, we, uh, we return to our foolishness. Well, as it turns out, there's a proverb for that. Yeah, it's one of my favorites, as a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. Now, I know, quite a favorite, isn't it? It's going to be yours, too. If you're going to get a proverb tattooed on your body, this is the one. Um, 
Some versions add the detail that the dog is returning to its vomit to eat it. All right, that's implied in the, in the Hebrew language. And, and the idea is that if a person has come to that point where they've recognized that they're a fool, and then they've turned away from it and walked away, then to come back and to enter into it again is just as crazy and as gross as a dog eating its own vomit. Word picture, let it stay there. Now, none of us live perfect lives, and we really all end up playing the role of the vomit-eating dog once in a while. As much as we hate to admit it, that is bound to happen. Uh, but the Lord, the Lord provides for this. When, when you place your faith in Christ, when you give your life to him, the moment you do that, the Lord places his Holy Spirit in you, right? The Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of truth. This, his Spirit comes to live in you, never leaves. But we do face a choice as to whether we're going to listen to him or not, right? And so, um, where am I? I know I've got, I'm preaching here. I'm looking at my notes. This, I'm having such a good time, I lost my place. Isn't that wonderful? Good. Um, yeah, here we go. Paul. I knew the Apostle Paul came into this. In chapter 5 of the book written to the Ephesians, the letter written to the Ephesians, Paul says this, chapter 5, verses 15 to 18, Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, not as fools, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. Right? Stop being a fool. Don't sin. Be, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. All right, now he's giving us a command here. Be filled with the Spirit. When the Lord gives a command, we actually have a choice, right? Do not steal. We have a choice. I can steal or I cannot steal. Not stealing is the way to go, if you were wondering. Right, but we do have a choice. And so here Paul is giving us a command. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. We have a choice, right? And, and that, that term, be filled, it means to, to submit to the Holy Spirit or to listen to him, to listen to his counsel, to stay in step with him, right, to be guided by him. That's the idea of being filled by the Holy Spirit. And so, um, and so we have this choice. We can either yield to the Holy Spirit and allow him to guide us, or, or we can choose not to. We can go our own way. We can become the vomit-eating dog, right? And so um, we have this choice. The Holy Spirit never leaves us in this. He's still, he's still living in us, but either we're submitting to him or we're not. So, you know, as you think about this, um, when, when I first became a Christian, actually, uh, this was a struggle for me. I hit a point where, uh, you know, I understood that, okay, I'm supposed to be growing in certain areas of life, uh, you know, love, joy, peace, patience. I mean, I'm supposed to be growing in those, but it's hard to tell, am I responsible for this or is God responsible for this? Do I need to just sit back and let it happen? And, you know, it's kind of funny in Scripture, uh, the answer to both of those is yes. Yeah, God, you know, it's known as the fruit of the Spirit for a reason, right? There's this one fruit. Uh, it's born in us by the Holy Spirit. It's the character of Christ. It's who, you know, he's developing Christ's character in us. 
He's going to be at work making that happen. But we need to pursue it. It's sort of like mutual responsibility. And if you think of it like a a dance, you know, ballroom dancing, uh, you have two people dancing. One person is leading. The other person follows. Well, that's like walking with the Holy Spirit. He's leading. We need to let him lead. We need to stay in step with him. And as we dance this dance of of the Christian faith, right, he develops his fruit in us. He helps us to grow. So, um, so knowing that made all the difference in my life. Oh, okay, so I am responsible. I need to try to love other people, but I need to go to God and ask him to help me do it because, you know, frankly, some people, you just need help loving them. I know I'm one of them, and probably you are too. So good news, yeah, here we are. Um, breaking the cycle of the vomit-eating dog. How do you do that? Because we don't want to be that person. And so... You know, you need, to, you need to come to your senses, and you need to admit, this is foolishness. What I'm doing is wrong. This is sin. This is bad. I should not be engaging in this. You need to confess it to God. You need to confess it to anyone that you've wronged. Uh, it may be good to, to talk to, to somebody about it. If you're really stuck in a pattern, in a habit, it might be good to bring somebody else into it to, to get some help, some encouragement, some accountability in growing out of it. Uh, if, you, um, if you need to repay anybody anything as a result, uh, if you need to, you know, if you've stolen something, you've got to give it back, right? You have to make restitution. That's part of the process. And then you need to choose to begin following God again, to get back in that dance, right, with the Holy Spirit, and to begin, once again, doing your part as he does his part. He's never left you but you need to choose to listen to him. You need to choose to submit to him and follow him. By doing that, uh, you, know, you, break, you break out of the cycle of, of going back to the vomit of your former foolish life. You didn't expect to hear that much about vomit this morning, did you? It's a good thing that breakfast is not served afterwards. Oatmeal would not look as good. This is essentially the message of our memory verses week. Uh, Proverbs 11.6, the righteousness or the wisdom of the upright delivers them or brings them freedom, but the unfaithful or the foolish are trapped by evil desires, right? The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires or imprisoned by them. My two points uh, this morning to grow in wisdom, we have to approach the Lord through humility. We need to come to him humbly, knowing that it's not about us. It's about what he's going to do in us and through us and for us. And that to grow in wisdom, um, to find freedom from that vomit-eating dog thing, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to live in submission to him and allow him to work in our lives and through us. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your goodness and grace in our lives. Father, you knew... When we came to you initially, you knew that sometimes we were just going to be like that dog. Uh, but Lord, you, you loved us anyway. Jesus, you still, you still wanted to die on the cross for us. You love us so much. Thank you, Lord, that as we confess our sin, that as we recognize what fools we are and come to you, that you do forgive us and you restore us. Holy Spirit, that you don't leave us, but that you will lead us. Thank you, Lord, for the freedom that you provide for us, freedom in this life. 
You're so good to us, Jesus, each and every day. Pray this in your powerful name. Amen.